Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. An Erios production. Menopause is coming and the men have all left town. But I'm not giving up until I see that baby crown. Could be bald and bearded, shorter, tall, funny, smart, love basketball, gay, straight, black, white, tiny eyes with an underbite. I just need sperm, sperm cast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the latest. First off, thank you to my newest patron, Julia P., and thank you to Sasha M. and Kate A. for raising your subscriptions. Guys, I have to admit something. I have a headache. I know. It's super lame. I have a headache and I'm tired and it's late on Monday night, so we're just going to jump right into it. Today we're talking to my friend Gracie Mercedes. She's an actor, a filmmaker, a writer, a former blogger, and a reluctant influencer, and she and her husband are all too familiar with the IVF process. So here we go. Thank you so much for doing this, Gracie. Of course. Of course. I've known about you and your your struggle for quite a while, and there's been some additions to your story. Not additions. What's the word? Um, change, changes, shifts. Shifts. There's been, yes. Development. Developments. There have been some developments to your story, and I can't wait to hear about those. But um, uh, we should start at the beginning. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So about, let's see, how long ago was this? Around 37 is when I decided. 1937? Uh, yeah, around 1937. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, when I was around 37 years old, I decided to, or my husband and I decided that we were going to try to have a baby. Yeah. And we had already been together at that point for seven years, mm-hmm. um, married for like four or five years. But you know, I'm a, I'm a creative uh, so is he. And sometimes you push that stuff aside for as long as possible. And so we started to try to have a baby and a month later I got pregnant. <gasps> and so I was like, oh my God, great. That's easy. Um, but then unfortunately I had a miscarriage at about seven weeks. It was a pretty early miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And that of course sucks and is like traumatic. And then we waited um, a few months, I think, to start trying again. And then, you know, slowly but surely, you're like checking the, the time. And now a year has gone by and I wasn't pregnant. Mm. So, you know, now I'm 38, maybe even 39 when mm. we were like, maybe I should go to a fertility doctor and, and see what the hell's going on. So I did. I did do that. I went to um, a fertility clinic in uh, Pasadena and went through all the testing, blah, blah, blah. Damien went through all his testing found out he was fine, of course, because he's a man. Um, <laughs> and they're usually fine. Um, but I was the one who my eggs were were good. I just was getting less and less every month. Right. And so he thought it was a good idea to do a round of IVF. Damien did or your doctor did? Oh, sorry. My doctor did. Oh, gotcha. No, Damien was just kind of along for the ride. <laughs> um, my doctor did. And I don't know, there's a part of me I don't know if this is my like Catholic Latin upbringing, but there was a part of me that's like, well, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And Mm -hmm. if it's not happening, it's not meant to happen. And so IVF was always like something I didn't really think about or really want to do. But eventually I said, fuck it, let's do it. Quick question before getting to that. Did you always want kids when you were younger or or was this? I, uh... I did. I always wanted kids when I was younger. And I honestly was someone who didn't care too much about marriage. But then I thought, well, if I want to have a family, like in my head, I was like, well, I have to have a husband before I have a kid. That Mm -hmm. was like my philosophy. Um, Now I'm like, fuck it. I don't care. Like I am married, but even if I wasn't married, if I wanted to have a kid, I would have a kid. So I totally respect and love what you're doing because I think that's what more and more women should do and are doing. Um, But 
at the time, I think when we got married, yeah, in my head, I was like, oh, I'm getting married so that I can have kids yeah. because that's what you do, right? Yeah. And then time went by and then it just, just didn't happen right away. Right. But then, yeah, we did the first round of IVF and I got... You went straight to IVF and not IUI. Yes. And I can't remember why there was a reasoning behind it. I want to say it was like, oh, if you're going to spend the money, mm-hmm. just for what will probably give you a better chance. I ended up having eight eggs at the time. Mm-hmm. And but after they like put the egg and the sperm together, we only ended up having, I believe, three embryos. And then mm-hmm. once they tested them, none of them tested. Oh, my God. That's the worst. It's the worst. So you spend all that money, all that time. You go through all the drugs. You go through the egg retrieval. And then we had nothing. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, cool. I just want to say that my the first of all the things that I've been through, I feel like that was the worst that my worst experience. Yeah, I just I guess maybe because I wasn't expecting it. But man, that was the biggest gut punch. It is a bummer. And because I I knew miscarriage. I've had two now and I've known those were that 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 they're common. But I just didn't think I wasn't going to have any normal embryos. And it really hurt. No, but, no, it's true. I, I think it did. And I remember being really upset that first day. I also tend to be someone who like will cry really, really hard for about 15, 20 minutes. And then I'm like, okay, moving on. Like, there I just you go. Have, yeah. You know, I have to be like, well, that's it. Like, I can't, I can't just like harp on this for too long. Yeah. And that's, you know, my, my way of self-preserving, mm-hmm. but that's definitely what I did then. Yeah. And so I think after that, I think after that, we were just like, all right, well, that's just what it is. And I didn't really think about doing a second round for a while. So then I also didn't love that fertility doctor. Mm. I won't mention I won't mention his name, but I didn't love him too much. I get a lot so, of that. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, eh, you know, I think I'm good for now. And then I got pregnant again, naturally, <laughs> which up. was. And now you're what, yeah. 39 or 40 still? I was 39. I was 39. Mm-hmm. No, I must have been even younger, actually. I think I'm doing, I'm getting this timeline wrong. I think I started, I think it was 37 when I had the first miscarriage. I want to say 38 when we did the IVF mm-hmm. and then also 38 when I got pregnant naturally. Okay. Um, because I was still seeing that fertility doctor. And when you get pregnant naturally while you're seeing a fertility doctor, they want to see you. Mm -hmm. And so I went to see him and he said, yes, um, you are pregnant. He said that uh, we're going to monitor your uh, levels and make sure they're rising or doubling, I think, every couple of days like they're supposed to, blah, blah, blah. And then I would do that. I went to see him like every other day for testing. And we were like, Six weeks, great. Seven weeks, great. I go in for eight weeks, like right before you're supposed to get the first sonogram. Mm. And my levels were not doubling anymore. So Mm. he was basically like telling me, you're going to miscarry. So now I had to just kind of wait to miscarry. So you did the ultrasound regardless or no? No, not. We did not. And so I remember (laughs) the life of an actor. I remember getting that information. Mm -hmm knowing that I had to fly to New York to shoot a commercial. Oh, my God. The next day. <laughs> the next day. And being like, and he was like, so you're going to miscarry within the next week or so. And I was like, okay, cool, cool. And I was in New York for three days shooting. And I just remember being like, like praying to the God, like, please, please just wait till I get back to L.A. Yeah. And luckily it didn't happen until I got back to L.A. Oh, so God. very grateful for that. But, you know, of course it sucks. And you're still supposed to live your life like you're pregnant just in case. Mm. And so you can't even like drink away the pain or or drink away the stress because you're supposed to still like, oh, well, you never know. Um, Then I got back miscarried, um, which is also devastating even the second time around. But I will say it's a little less like you're able to deal with it a little better because you one, I knew it was coming and two, I knew what to expect. Yeah. Pain wise, did your did your miscarriages feel different physically for you? I remember the first one being pretty terrible, but I don't remember the second one being as bad. And I'm trying to think if I got drugs for that or something because I knew it was coming. Mm. Uh, but I just remember that first time being way more dramatic and way more painful and mm. horrible. And 
vivid. <laughs> I won't go into that, but like, you know, just, just like, Oh Jesus. Um, so yeah. yeah. And then somewhere in between that, God, I'm so bad with dates. I probably should have gotten this together before. No, it's okay. It's like, we have an amnesia on purpose. I, you know, yeah, exactly. we don't need to remember all these details. Exactly. I don't remember anything from my podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) There's been like a hundred episodes. Oh my God. Have you done that many already? I think so. According to iTunes, it's like 102 or 103 or something like that. But I've also done a bunch of bonus episodes and there are three trailers in there. And so I don't know exactly how many episodes I've done, but I'll figure it out for next week. And then we can have some sort of celebration when I get to my actual 100. How will we celebrate? You know me. I'll probably just ask you for money or something like that. It's going to be so fun. Somewhere around that time, I also had surgery to uh, remove some fibroids Mm -hmm. and endometriosis. And to my fallopian tube, my left fallopian tube had been a little bit closed. And so he went in there and like opened it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. (laughs) I can't remember that was before or after the second time I got pregnant. I think it was before. Yeah, interesting. And yes. have you heard that um, fibroids are more common with black women? Yes. Um, anyone who has any kind of African ancestry, apparently it's it's a little bit more common. Uh-huh. I'm I not sure know. why. Yeah, I'll look it up. I'm Afro-Latina, so I'm Dominican, so we have like substantial African heritage. So it makes sense. Now I have a dumb question. No. Like, is everybody in the Dominican Republic Afro-Latina? <laughs> <laughs> no, not necessarily. Um, most Latin people from the islands, like Puerto Rico, Cuba, Dominican oh. Republic, they literally range from every shade of color, um, mm. from very light skin to very dark skin, from mm. all kinds of textures of hair, basically because of the history of the islands. Like these islands were inhabited by Native Indians and then mm. European colonizers who just happened to speak Spanish because they were Spaniards, mm. came over, brought African slaves. Mm-hmm. We all know what those Europeans did to the African slaves and the natives. Mm -hmm. So there's a big mixture of people. So there's Dominicans that look very European, Spanish. Mm -hmm. There are Dominicans that look very African. And there's Dominicans that are like me and they look somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So the the term Afro-Latinx is a newer term that I think the Latin community didn't even have or embrace until recently. Mm -hmm. And that's just to acknowledge that like so many of us who are anything more than olive complexion have African roots because of history. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Well history lesson for you. I like it. I appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with that, you know, comes the same kind of medical stuff. Right. Okay, so what are fibroids again? Fibroids, also known as lyomyomas, are firm, roundish, non-cancerous tumors that develop within the muscle tissue of the uterus. They can range in size from the size of a pebble to a football or larger. They're very common among the general population, and most women don't even know that they have them because they'll never even experience symptoms. But research shows that the incidence of uterine fibroids by age 35 in black women is 60% and only 40% in white women. By age 50, the incidence in black women is over 80% and almost 70% in white women. Now, when it comes to those who actually experience symptoms, black women are two to three times more likely to have fibroids, to develop them at younger ages, to have bigger fibroids, to have more fibroids, and to have more severe symptoms. The rate of hospitalization for fibroids is three times higher for black women than white women. They are seven times more likely to have myomectomies, which is the surgery to remove fibroids, and four times more likely to undergo hysterectomies for fibroids. This is crazy to me, because all these articles are saying that uterine fibroids only account for 1.4 to 2% of infertility cases, but more than 400,000 hysterectomies are done each year in the United States, and a third of those hysterectomies are done to treat fibroids. It is the number one reason for hysterectomies. And this is in women between 18 and 44 years old, which are prime reproductive years. So if you're removing the uterus during reproductive years, how is that not a huge cause of infertility? And like I said, black women are four times as likely as white women to receive a hysterectomy. Okay, so where am I getting all this information from? A lot of it is from Black Women's Health Imperative. One is from, some is from a New York Times article I read. Another, there's just like five articles I read about it. And I put them all together. I'm scared I'm getting some of the facts wrong. I'm scared about the last one about um, four times as likely to get a hysterectomy. But 
because I also read two to three times is like, but uh, look, you know I'm not a doctor and you know I'm not a fucking journalist. <laughs> this is just my understanding of what I'm reading. Okay, thank you. Now, moving on. Okay, so now let's talk about the symptoms you'd have if you were to experience symptoms. Mild to severe pelvic pain, anemia due to heavy periods, passage of blood clots, painful sex, or urinary or bowel problems. And what causes fibroids? There's definitely an association with hormone levels, estrogen and progesterone, because fibroids seem to uh, grow rapidly when you're pregnant and shrink once menopause has started. But other than that, nobody seems to have a good answer. There are, however, a few risk factors that seem to be linked to the disparity in the diagnosis among the races. There may be some genetic element that increases the tendency among African-American women. Another study suggested that greater overall lifetime stress might help trigger fibroids. They theorized that a lifelong exposure to racism combined with limited access to medical resources and a lower overall quality of care might explain this disparity. Some evidence suggests environmental factors such as diet, obesity, or a history of abuse increase the risk. Another study pointed to a vitamin D deficiency due to darker skin. And one study found a connection with the use of hair relaxer. A study of more than 23,000 African-American women found increased risk of fibroids among those who had the longest and most frequent use and most burns from hair relaxer. So what are the treatments? Birth control and IUDs can reduce heavy bleeding. Tranexamic acid is a medication that reduces heavy menstrual bleeding. There are several medications that shrink fibroid size. And these are usually used before surgeries, though, not for long-term because they can cause hot flashes. There's laparoscopic myomectomies, and there are hysterectomies, which also can be done laparoscopically. Unfortunately, black women getting hysterectomies are less likely to do it laparoscopically. So there's not only a disparity in the incidence of fibroids, but there's absolutely a disparity in the treatment of fibroids and access to minimally invasive surgery for black versus white women. I'm reading from something called the Black Women's Health Imperative now. It says the choice of therapy for fibroids should be appropriate for a woman's clinical situation and respect and consider her preference and life circumstances, including her desire for having children in the future. Another excerpt from Black Women's Health Imperative it says, because fibroids are more prevalent amongst black women, they may consider heavy and more painful periods to be more normal. Many suffer needlessly before seeking treatment for their fibroids. A national survey showed that black women waited substantially longer than white women before seeking treatment, four and a half years compared with 3.3 years. Healthcare providers play an important role in advising and guiding women as they decide on their best treatment for their fibroids. Extensive research shows that providers' beliefs and biases about black women are linked to racial disparities in health and healthcare. Often these biases are unconscious, but they still affect the care and recommendations provided by the physician and the trust a woman has in the recommended treatment. Physicians should be trained to recognize their own biases and learn strategies to prevent them from influencing the care they deliver. And here's just something that I read on Medium that I thought was nice. It says, uh, the time now that women just defer to doctors is over. We have to educate ourselves and be in charge of our own health. We need to look upon our physician like we look upon our electrician or our plumber. These are people who have specific knowledge and technical abilities that we don't have. We need them, but we are in charge. So then after the second miscarriage, took a little time off and I had a friend who's was older is older than me and she um, had her second baby through IVF and she recommended her doctor at this clinic in Beverly Hills that I ended up going to and I really liked and we did another round of IVF with him and that time I want to say only got five eggs which I was really like oh no but then we had like four embryos and only one tested well, so like okay. past the testing. So we had, we had some one embryo hmm. on ice, still on ice. Um, Is it? That, still on ice. It oh was tested, you know, the sex and we have it. And um, he at the time was like, you know, are you ready to transfer? And I was like, nope. I just felt like I needed a break. It was a lot. It was like three and a half years at this point of like miscarriages, IVF, surgery, and I said, you know, I just want some time. And I started seeing uh, like more of a holistic naturopath type doctor and going mm -hmm. to this one place where this guy, his wife had infertility stuff. So he knew a lot about all that. Oh, interesting. 
And so, yeah, so, so I started getting acupuncture. In fact, I went to him for acupuncture before and after that IVF, the second one. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of thought maybe that helped it. Mm-hmm. So even he suggested, yeah, take some time, like, like let, you, let your body heal or, or reset. So then in, okay, I'm going to get this date right. December <laughs> of, in December of 2018, we said, okay, let's do it. Let's do this transfer. And I started taking the shots for the transfer and my body just wasn't responding to the shots. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the doctor was literally like, we can't do this transfer. It's not going to work. Like, I think you need to give your body more of a break. So now he's like, give your body another month or two. Yeah. I was like, okay. And at that point, you know, that same inner gut feeling of like, this is still not working. (laughs) Like maybe it's not supposed to work or maybe it's not supposed to work now. That just kept kind of blaring into my ear. Yeah. And funny enough, right after that is when I really got into writing, started working, writing on a show, um, started making more of my own stuff. So I really did have like a busy year in that time. And I was also dealing with thyroid issues. Mm. And while my endocrinologist and my fertility doctor were like, no, your hormone levels are fine. It's, it has nothing to do with your thyroid. My um, naturopath guy was like, I don't care what they say. I think that's bullshit. Like your thyroid regulates all your hormones. Like it absolutely probably has something to do with it because so I discovered about six years ago because of an Instagram post where my neck looked enlarged and people were like reaching out to me like you should get your thyroid checked. How yeah, crazy is that? That's crazy. Um, I started seeing an endocrinologist, found out that I have goiters on my thyroid. Or I had, I no longer have them. Um, Can you tell us goiters, what goiters are? Oh, you are about to. <laughs> yeah, the goiters are basically like, they're kind of like cysts. Okay. And they can get bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. Like if anyone Googles goiters on your neck or thyroid, you'll see some crazy photos of yeah. just like giant necks. Oh my God. So mine wasn't you know that bad, but we had to keep watching them. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I had to have like ultrasounds and biopsies and MRIs and all kinds of tests. So that's another thing. I'm going through fertility stuff and I'm going through thyroid stuff. Yeah. And my levels being all over the place. And so cut to about a year ago, not even, my uh, endocrinologist said, maybe you should see a surgeon to see, you know, your options about getting it removed because these goiters are not going to shrink. They're only going to get bigger. Mm. And they are getting bigger. They were actively getting bigger every time I got checked up. Wow. And so it was getting to the point where I actually would start seeing like a bulge in my neck in pictures and when I was like doing self tapes and, right. you know, there's not only the health part of it, but it's like, I'm an actor. I can't have a bulging neck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, eventually that might be a problem. Yeah. And so I saw a surgeon and he said pretty much what my endocrinologist said. He said, listen, these are not getting smaller. They're only going to get bigger. And the thing is, if you think you're going to want to have surgery at some point, it is much better to get it done now while they're smaller mm. than when they get larger because your thyroid is right near your vocal cords and the bigger they get and the bigger your thyroid gets, the trickier the surgery gets and the higher risk of messing up your voice, which obviously no one wants. I mean, I'm now I'm like worried about you talking right now. Are you allowed to be talking this much? I'm totally allowed to be talking. <laughs> I was actually talking the day after surgery. Like, okay. my vocal cords are great. <laughs> okay. um, I was more sore because of like the breathing tube they put down your throat when you oh, have surgery. Yeah. Yeah. And I have but, another quick question. So when you're yeah. doing your um stuff with your fertility stuff, like your hormone levels were fine. It's just that you had these growths, except what your naturopath said. Yeah. So it was interesting. My um T three and T four like thyroid hormone levels were normal. Okay. My TSH levels were always a little low. Mm-hmm. Low or a little lower than they should be. And so they thought maybe it was connected to my pituitary gland. So I had to have an MRI, but that ended up being fine. So they really couldn't figure it out. It was like this mystery thing where it's like your levels on paper are fine, but something's off because your TSH isn't as low, but your thyroid levels are are fine. And this is on your thyroid. And so we really never actually cracked the case, Uh but it was more of the physical thing because the other thing that happens with a goiter, if it gets too big, it starts pressing on your throat. So it started becoming a little harder to swallow. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so even my naturopath, who's like usually anti like removing organs from your body, he was right. like, get that thing out of you. And I was okay. like, yeah, you're right. And now 
to see my neck again is crazy <gasps> because no one ever really could see it unless I pointed it out. But now in retrospect, I've been showing like my friends and family like before and after photos and they're like, uh, holy shit. Yeah. So do you <laughs> no. have a scar? I don't see anything. I do. Right now I have a little cover on it, but the, the scar is super tiny already. It's only, it hasn't even been two weeks and the scar wow. looks amazing. So he did a great job. Wow. Um, my surgeon was Dr. Ho at Cedar sinai and he was <laughs> fantastic. Um, he did tell me that, okay, let me preface by saying he does about 250 surgeries a year. And he told me that my thyroid is one of the largest he's ever taken out of a person. Stop <laughs> it. Oh so it's like, oh my God. Yeah. <gasps> so it definitely needed to go. Oh my um, God. <sighs> There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, yeah, so that so the plan after all that was just be like, okay, let's let's take care of this thyroid thing. Let's really like take a break. Let's take a year off. Let's take care of the thyroid. And then after that, see where I'm at because my suggestion, the suge what was suggested to me by the endocrinologist and my naturopath was after the surgery, it's almost like a reset button. You're going to be taking, um, you know, uh, hormones mm -hmm. like through medication. It usually takes around six months for your body to regulate that and to get your levels normal. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you're going to have like perfect levels and everything will be great. And so if at that point you want to do the transfer, that's a great time to try. Wow. So that's the plan. Or that was the plan, or I guess that could be the plan. But right now, like today, I feel like I don't think I want a kid anymore, which is maybe crazy, but Amazing. how I'm feeling right now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what is it? What is that feeling? Does it feel like a relief? It kind of does. It's this weird thing where, I don't know. I think something happened when I turned 40 mm -hmm. where you know, you turn 40 and you just examine, at least I did, everything that you've ever done in your life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because it it feels like if I'm lucky, I'll live to 80. So I am halfway through my life. Mm. This is where I am now. What have I done? What do I want to do? Mm -hmm. And I think that voice that kept saying, like, maybe this isn't happening for a reason, got stronger and stronger. And then I started feeling like, well, do I really want a baby? Like, what about having a baby is appealing to me mm -hmm. <laughs> and think about all that's going to change if I have one. And so that started to, to come up a lot. And the thing is, my husband has always kind of been like, take it or leave it. Like he right. was totally into like, yeah, let's have a kid together. But he was also like, or we don't have to have a kid. I'm cool either way. Yeah, I think maybe if I had a husband who was super like, gun-ho, I want to be a dad, I have to be a dad, then maybe I'd be like, okay, fine, let's do this. But because we're both kind of on the fence and kind of always have been, mm -hmm. I'm definitely leaning leaning towards, I don't think I'm going to ever have a kid. Now that can change in a couple of years. And, and your egg will still, I mean, I, your embryo will still be there. Embryo will still be there. I, I might have to have a surrogate at that point, but who cares? Um, I could adopt. There's just so many ways to be a mom yeah. that there's this sense of release and pressure of, you know what, if you want it one day, you can have it. But right now it doesn't feel like the thing for me. And also in this span of four or five years dealing with all this stuff, my sister has had two kids. So now I have two nephews mm -hmm. that are like my babies. And are I'm they like, nearby? They're not nearby. Sadly, they're in New York. I'm uh -huh. in LA, but I go home all the time. I mean, I'm actually going home this week because I haven't seen them in so long because of COVID. Yeah. But, um, it's just like so great to have them. Yeah. It's also so great to leave them when I'm done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and be like, I've had my fun with you. Now yeah. I get to go home. Yeah. So I mean I love them so much. So I I don't know. I, I'm just in this weird place where I'm like, I don't I don't know if it's gonna happen for me. But it's so nice to 
to not have that constant pressure on yourself that you don't have to, I mean, I know this embryo that you have is no guarantee for sure, but it's just so nice that you don't have to make that decision right now. Yeah, totally. And, and honestly, um, the embryo was gonna be like my final, like, try at it. Uh huh. Um, Something in me does feel like something's a little bit unfinished because I was like, okay, well, we Mm -hmm. have this embryo. We're going to try to transfer it. Mm -hmm. If it works, great. We'll have a child. If it doesn't, I am definitely done. Like I'm not doing this to my body anymore. I'm not going to go through IVF anymore. So that was the game plan before. There is a part of me that feels like, oh, just go for it. You never know if it's going to work or not. (laughs) But then I'm like, but what if it does work? Right. Um, So yeah, because I have that I think because I have that doubt and because I keep going back and forth on that, I feel like, yeah, I'm going to hold off. Yeah. Yeah. I had actually a really interesting conversation with another friend of mine who went through a couple of rounds of IVF and stuff and, and she was starting to feel like she didn't want to have a kid either. Yeah. So we had lunch one day and we were talking about it and she goes, I think what the thing is, and, and this is so brilliant because I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. When you get pregnant, quote unquote, normally you find out you're pregnant. And in that moment, you decide, am I having this baby? Am I having an abortion? Right. Mm -hmm. If you are lucky enough to not have a miscarriage and then it's done, you go one way or the other, you have only a couple of weeks to make this decision Mm -hmm. and then you're done. When you're going through IVF, it is a constant reminder. It's a constant, do I want to have a kid? Because Mm -hmm. I'm going through all this stuff. I am spending this money. I am putting my body through so much shit. I'm going under and getting eggs removed from my body. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of input. It's a lot of time. And it's it's a lot of time to think about motherhood and being a mother and wanting to have a child. Yeah. Versus like those few weeks that you get when you get pregnant otherwise. Yeah. And it's the constant stress of uh, decision making. And you don't know anything. You're not the fucking doctor. But you're mm-hmm. expected to make these important decisions mm-hmm. that are going to cost you all kinds of money, and yeah, and you are responsible for that decision. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 definitely a lot <laughs> for sure. And then sometimes you feel like you can't get off that train. You've been on it, and you like, why well, I, I can't I can't step off now after everything yeah, that no, I put into it. It's like being in a yeah. bad relationship that you've put so much energy into. And if, if you if you break up, then everyone else was right. Or, you know, you guys shouldn't have been together so, in the first place. That's absolutely true. And, and, and for me, there's even an extra couple of layers because I was a full-time blogger when I was going through this. So I wrote about all this stuff and I was very open about my right. infertility. And, and um, my husband and I even co-wrote a short film together that I directed and acted in we both yes. acted in egg day egg day yeah can people so, see it yes it is up on eggdayfilm.com awesome eggdayfilm.com <laughs> um it was my first film um i learned a lot on that film i am when did you make it a, i uh 20 uh, or like where in your in your fertility stuff did you make it after after the first fertility doctor before the second one after one round of IVF? Mm-hmm. Got it. After one round of IVF. And the short film was about, like, how different the experience of an egg retrieval day is for a woman versus for a man. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's called egg day. So it's just, like, you know, women go under to the, this, this, like, serious yeah. I think I saw it, it, but I, it was a while ago, and I, I can't remember the details. Yeah, I, it, it's, it's a couple of years old now. I actually just... Um, but it was I good. I remember film. thinking it was great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a new short film coming out that's even better, Molly. What is um, it? Because I learned, I learned so many things from Egg Day. Amazing. One being you should not direct a film that you're in every scene because it's very hard when you have to shoot nine pages in 12 hours. Oh, my God. But this new film is called Just the Two of Us. And it also is about feminine health. Um, yeah. But it is not autobiographical. I had read this book called... This is going to hurt by Adam Kay, who's this uh, British doctor. He's now a comedy writer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> a British, <laughs> he's a British uh, emergency room doctor, OBGYN. And so there's like, it's like a year of his journal and all the different crazy experiences at the OBGYN ER. Wow. And they're hilarious, but also really interesting. And so he talks about this one woman who has uterus didelphus, which is a condition 
a very small percentage of the population have, but it's a woman who is born with either two uteruses, two cervixes, or two vaginas, or a combination of all three. Wow. And so I was like, what? This is a real thing? And kind of got, you know, online and <laughs> got into like a click hole of researching this this uh, condition. And so I thought, oh, wouldn't it be interesting, like a short film about a woman who has this and yeah. how dating must be like. Oh, my God. You have to explain this to them. So that's what that movie is about. And I'm in it and I wrote it and I directed it. But I have a wonderful co-director, Nathan Kaywood. Are you uh, the person with the two uteri yes. or what is it which which do you have all of them all three i i have two vaginas <laughs> i have all three but the, the vaginas does it come from about. now this is i've i've heard of a bicornuate uterus and a and a uterine septum is it just a because of an extended septum that it splits the it's whole like, thing it's i think it's the opposite it's um it's almost like we all have two vaginas but eventually it, it that middle piece like comes off I guess but oh. this one it's like it, it never fully developed so there's like wow. one it's like one hole per se but it's kind of split in half right and in, <laughs> inside it, it sort of goes one way or the other but because like I did that movie egg day and because I had this blog and I talked about it like I'm still getting random messages from people being like I just think about you all the time and I hope your fertility journey oh, and I'm yeah. just like oh no, no, no. I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't even think I want kids anymore. Um, so I haven't really, I feel like I need, I like owe people like, I don't know. But you don't. Or something. You don't. I know I don't, but it's just so weird. I mean, honestly, this podcast is great because I could just help promote this podcast and be like, here guys, this is what's going on now. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I could just make a, like a little like waveform file of that one moment that you could just post. <laughs> that would be amazing. Thank you. <laughs> no, but I understand that pressure. I mean, I don't, I personally, I'm still, I'm still gung ho about what I'm doing, but I go through my moments where I am, am filled with fear and anxiety and I can't do this. I haven't gotten to the, um, I don't know if I even want this anymore moment. Mm-hmm. But it could be. It could happen. Mm-hmm. Where are you with all this? I'm about to do my third transfer in two weeks, but it's an untested, two untested embryos. Oh, wow. Yeah. And. <laughs> Damn. And I don't have any hopes for anything anymore. I, I, yeah. I, it's not that I've been through so much. It's just that I, I've just learned that I, I. I don't like to get my hopes up and then just have them shattered. And I, there's that thing about, you know, being negative and staying positive. And I just don't give a fuck about that. And I, I don't know if how that appears to people, but, um, I just do not like that feeling afterwards. So I don't have any feelings about what's going to happen with this. Um, but it'd be nice if it turned out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I hope it does. I actually froze 16 eggs when I was 37. Wow. And I tried to do all this without um, tapping into those eggs because I always thought that I would use those with my future partner. Yeah. I had a known donor and got pregnant on the fourth try from that and then had a miscarriage and then did four IUIs after that that didn't work with frozen sperm from a sperm bank and then used different sperm from a different sperm bank. same sperm bank, different sperm for my first round of IVF. And that turned out to have five non-normal embryos, but one of them was a questionable one. So uh, we went ahead and transferred that and it didn't work. After that, I had sort of made an agreement with myself Mm -hmm. uh, that I would use my eggs. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I I thawed half of those eggs and... We made four embryos out of that, transferred two of them in February or January, in January, and I got pregnant, and it turned into a pregnancy of unknown location, uh, which I didn't know was a thing. (laughs) Yeah, I had the you know the hormone in my body, but they didn't see it in the ultrasound. They didn't see the embryo, so they didn't know where it was. It could have been in the uterus, but just too small to see. But it could also be in the fallopian tubes or the cervix or the abdominal cavity so anyway after that i had a 
painful miscarriage. The first one was just a heavy period for me. So that's why I was asking earlier about mm -hmm. what it felt like. But this second one was physically more painful. But I, I don't know if that was because I mentally was scared that my fallopian tube was rupturing. So I was more, the pain was more scary. But yeah. anyway, um, so that was March. Uh, then I went to New York to be with my parents because I was scared of the virus. Scared. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be there with them. Mm -hmm. So I did a home insemination while I was at my parents' house. Oh, my God. With frozen sperm, which was very funny. And it didn't work. Now here I am <laughs> using my wow. two, two leftover embryos. Yeah. You're such a trooper. See, that's what I mean. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> someone who wants to be a mom. Like, I feel like I don't have that in me. So I, I really, like, admire your freaking uh, determination. Thank you. But I don't know if it means I want to be a mom more than other people. Maybe it does. I don't know. Maybe it just yeah. means I'm, I don't know. I just don't even feel like yeah. I'm making, it's not a question in my mind. And I don't yeah. know if that, what that's from, whether it's from, because I've decided that I, this is what I do and it's my job now <laughs> or, right. or that I, or that I will never stop trying to be a mom or what, but it doesn't feel like I'm, yeah, it doesn't yeah, feel yeah, like yeah. I'm a warrior or anything. I'm just doing this thing. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. But thanks. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> and what about um? Well, I've been reading a lot in the last couple of weeks about about the difference in uh, maternal health for Black people and Black women, and. I wonder about the, uh, did you in your IVF process or your fertility process feel like your, there was any, I don't know, did you feel heard? Did you feel like there was a difference that you experienced personally? Um, I did not, but I also feel like I'm a privileged person of color mm -hmm. because I have, I'm not poor. I'm not living in a poor neighborhood. I'm mm -hmm. not going to, I'm going to like fancy doctor's offices right. in Beverly Hills. I think... I'm not saying that that discrimination doesn't exist in those environments, but right. I do think they're more prevalent in different kinds of environments yeah. that I'm not necessarily exposed to. Yeah. That fact and statistic is, I think, something I've become aware of more recently. Yeah. And so now it's hard to go back and think like, well, did I get mistreated? Was I heard? I think um, I don't have any memories of anything necessarily standing out. If but so, you weren't if they looking for it. But I wasn't looking for it. And I also yeah. think sometimes when you experience, I think all the times, <laughs> actually. You're desensitized. I think, I think when, yeah, I think there's a combination between when you're experiencing racism, you know what's happening in your gut. You can feel it. But also it happens so often sometimes that you just are a little desensitized that you're just like, oh, yeah, that's just that's just just what happens. And mm -hmm. you kind of go about your day unless it's something super like overt. So I think it's like, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I can see how that's the case. It's definitely statistically the case. Yeah. But yeah. So. But I wonder, I mean, I, I know that, you know, the, the obvious stats are more obvious when it comes to maternal death rates and infant mortality. But um, mm -hmm. I, I need to look more into the experience, I guess, in the, in, in the fertility world leading up to that stuff. Yeah. I would also be curious of the statistics of how many specifically black and Latinx women even go through fertility mm -hmm. as compared to white women. Because mm -hmm. that number is probably pretty different. Yeah. My mom, and also while she was born in Dominican Republic, she came to New York pretty young. So she's pretty like, quote unquote, Americanized. Mm -hmm. um, so like she gets it. But I think like if my grandmother was still around... <laughs> Right. Um, I don't, I don't know how she would feel about fertility stuff. I feel like she, she would maybe just want me to like pray to Jesus more about it. Right. Um, so, so I don't know. So I, I, I would assume, I would imagine that, yeah. uh, culturally there, there's definitely different views on it than, uh, for black and brown women than for white women. Yeah, very different. Okay, so there's so much to dig into here that I'm going to have to make this like another episode or two and find a professional to walk me through it all. But I'll give you some of the broad strokes. So 12% of women uh, up to the age of 44 struggle with infertility, but studies show that black women may be almost twice as likely to experience infertility as white women. I did not know that. Uh, yet seek medical help only half as much as white women, and Latinx women also seek treatment half the time. 
A University of Michigan study focusing on black women and infertility found that nearly all of the women dealt with their infertility in silence. African-American women may face the stereotype of being more fertile than other women, although a completely incorrect assumption, this brings on stigma to infertile women. It may lead to feelings of inadequacy and shame despite it sometimes being out of a woman's control. A Colorado study regarding why Latinx women may not seek treatment identified the following obstacles. Also, the uh, perception of being universally fertile and not in need of fertility treatments. Infertility is a cultural stigma that prevents those affected from talking about the issue, much less seeking medical help. Fear of finding out which member of the couple is responsible for infertility. Um, a feeling of fatalism about fertility that hampers seeking solutions. A lack of awareness of the options and little faith in the health care providers addressing the problems. And also religion apparently does not appear to be a significant barrier. Yeah. It's good to hear your story. And I think that you're in a great place. I'm excited for you to not have to think about this shit for a while. Thank you. Or yeah. forever. Whatever you want. Yeah, I know. I'm really like, and I you just said feel like weight off my shoulders. And you said, you know, uh, when you think about the next forty years of your life and all that you want to do, what do you want to do? <laughs> That's the thing. I just want to be like. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I I want to be really successful in like my yeah. acting and my writing and my directing. Like, yeah. I just want to be a successful filmmaker. I want to travel. I want to do all the things that like motherhood doesn't necessarily fit very well into. Yeah, part of me. <laughs> it's so funny. My mom had me very young. She had me as a teenager. And I think because of that, and because I saw her struggle, um, when I was younger, like I was always so determined, like you cannot get pregnant, Gracie, you cannot get pregnant right. as a teenager, not get pregnant in your twenties. Like you have to be married. You have to. And so I was very careful and I was, <laughs> it was very much, um, I was very much obsessed with that idea of not getting pregnant young. And now at 40, I'm like, God damn it. I kind of wish I just got knocked up when I was like 20. <laughs> and I would have I like know. a 22-year-old child right now. Like that is <laughs> That's crazy, crazy to me. Right? <laughs> and I have siblings. My mom, because she had me so young, she remarried. And I have three siblings with a different dad. And and the youngest one is 20 years old. And she was born when I was 22 years old. So she could technically be my child. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, it's crazy. I think that's also part of my my feeling of like... I don't need a kid. I have siblings yeah. who are babies themselves. I have nephews now who are actual babies. Um, yeah. So yeah, having that, and I'm very close to all of them. So I think having that fills that 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 little void that otherwise might not have been filled. Yeah, that's awesome. And the show you were working on, Perfect Harmony, writing on. I was. I was writing on Perfect Harmony. It was my first professional writing job on NBC. We that's just found awesome. out. We're not getting a second season. I saw that. I'm so sorry. And I wish I could say so I loved hard. the show, but I didn't see it because I sucked. You see, it's people like you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm sure it was, it was awesome. Great, great cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still on It's still on Hulu. So oh, I cool. Think if anyone wants it, yeah. Perfect harmony. It was a great cast, and it was a really, like, feel-good show. Um, our two leads were white, but besides that, it was, like, a very diverse show, and yeah. our writer's room was pretty diverse, and our – showrunner creator was a woman and and so it, it was all the things that you think a network would want right now yeah um yeah yet it still didn't get picked up for a second season but it was really great it was a beautiful experience and i'm really glad i got to do it so now i'm just focusing on writing my own stuff great acting is kind of not existing right now because of covid but soon i'm sure it'll pick back up and then i'm i'm i just launched a podcast of my own did you launch it um, already is it out we launch on monday so i'm assuming by the time yes, this airs tuesday and- this comes out on Next. Tuesday. So, so I just launched my podcast yesterday. <laughs> Holy shit. Amazing. What's it uh, called? Yeah. It's called Not Blank Enough. Uh-huh. And it's basically just me interviewing people about everyday insecurities and mm. how they come, you know, overcome them or, or maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, we've already recorded six episodes. Um, we're launching with our teaser and two interviews. And it's been really fun. I didn't, I've always kind of resisted the podcast world because I was like, I don't know if I can do that. And it does seem like it's getting crazy saturated, but, uh, it was an idea I had and this production company I work with liked it. And so we're doing it. I think that's a great idea. I think it'll be Thank great. You. Yeah. Who are your Thank first, you. first two yeah. interviews with? 
Anybody cool? My first interview, <laughs> yeah, my first interview is with Marie Forleo, who is this major like self-help entrepreneur businesswoman. She helps women start their own careers type thing. She was named by Oprah as like a, a thought leader for the next generation. Damn. And she works with, yeah, she works with like Oprah and um, Tony Robbins, Richard Branson. Like she's worked with just like amazing people wow. and her episode. So each episode is going to kind of have its own title of the blank and so hers right. was not good enough and the feeling of not feeling good enough all the time and then my second episode is with this guy Matthew Law who's an actor he's on um, a couple of Tyler Perry shows and he's biracial grew up in Seattle and uh, his episode is not black enough and that feeling of kind of not fitting in when fitting in when you're biracial yeah. but you look black but also light skin and colorism is a thing and he's also been out almost every day of these protests so we talked about like the black life Black Lives Matter movement um, with him. Awesome. And I got a whole slew of great guests. Dave Holmes. Do you know Dave Holmes? Yeah, I love Dave. That's awesome. Yeah. He talked about growing up gay in a conservative town. So yeah. Yeah, really good stories. That's amazing. I'm excited to hear it. Tell us what it's called again, where we can find it. <laughs> it's not blank enough. And it's on iTunes and Spotify. Perfect. And yeah. you're uh, just the two of us. Where can we watch that? Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's called Just the Two of Us, but we just started submitting it. Whatever. <laughs> so you probably that won't be really online probably for like ugh, a year. Okay. But but if you just follow me on Instagram, I promote well, the show. Well, where can we my... follow you on Instagram? <laughs> at GracieMercedes.com, G-R-A-S-I-E-M-E-R-C-E-D-S. <laughs> GracieMercedes.com, Gracie with an S. Perfect. <laughs> or I'm sorry, my Instagram is just at Gracie Mercedes. My website is GracieMercedes.com. But I think anybody can find you if they just type in Gracie Mercedes, I think. Yeah, yeah literally. You're verified. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Look for deal. that. Look for that blue check mark. <laughs> and also, like, no one else in the world spells Gracie with an S. So yeah. it's pretty, pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Gracie. This was great. It was so great to hear your story. And I'm, I'm, and I can't wait to hear your podcast. Thank you. And thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah. Bye. 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 Gracie, thank you again so much for being on the podcast. Listeners, go and check out her website and follow her online. Okay, everybody, that is it for me. I'm totally zonked. Follow Spermcast everywhere on social media at Spermcast. Join the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Spermcast. Call the number 323-741-1818 if you want to leave a voicemail or text me. Email at spermcast at gmail.com. Share the podcast. Rate the podcast. Review the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast, everybody. That's what makes a podcast successful. Venmo me if you want to support the podcast financially at Venmo at molly and all of this information is always in my show notes, so you can find the info there. Gotta go. Love you so much. Bye. He could be balding, bearded, shorter, tall, funny, smart, love basketball. From gay to straight, black to white, tiny ass with an underbite. I just need sperm. Sperm cast. An Erios production. Powered by ACAST. 